let's, let's, let's go to the Word here. Uh, we are in Psalm chapter 22. And uh, we, we've trekked through this quite a ways. Um, uh, Alice has preached on it. Hoyt has preached on it. I preached on it. And, and we've really seen this, this first half be really ugly. And I mentioned last week, it, it's not one of those things we typically like to talk about, right? The suffering of Jesus. When we talk about the agony and the, the being spit upon and being whipped with a cat of nine tails and being beaten, being crucified, right? Shamed, naked on a cross where I should have been shamed. We don't like to talk about that. And I said last week, we, we typically don't like to talk about that for two different reasons. One, because it makes us sad. It's just a sad thing to see. It's a sad thing to think about. And we don't want to be sad like that. But usually what the second thing is, the second reason we don't like to see it or don't like to talk about it is because of the conviction that it brings. We know, if we look into our own hearts rightly, we know that it should have been us on that cross. It should have been us with that crown of thorns. It should have been us with that cat of nine tails across our back. We deserve to be in the place that Jesus went willingly for us. And we saw last week, and we reiterated and should reiterate all the time, is that he was not a victim. Jesus was not this crazy victim that, that was taken advantage of. Obviously, we could say that and see that. But he was the willing Lord of the universe who sacrificed himself on our behalf. He willingly laid down his life for ours. He went there. No one killed him. He offered himself on our behalf. And last week we looked at this agony that he was facing and this anguish. And, and Christ was in anguish during this time of the cross. And you see how, how, how hard it hurt. And he, he was questioning, Father, are you near? Are you, are you still nearby? I don't know that you're here. But we ended last week in Psalm 22, uh, verse 21. At the very end of verse 21, if you look at that with me, he says, you answered me. In the midst of this, are you near, are you around, God the Father reminded the Son exactly of where he was, of why he was there, and of who he was. In that sense of God in the flesh who would conquer death once and for all. That death would not hold him and that he would rise from the dead. He remembered that. And from that point on in this passage, from 21 uh, C, we'll call it, uh, on, there is no more lament in this, in this passage. There's no more crying out to God. There's no more suffering. There's no more anguish. It is all about praise informed by the victory that God has done through Christ Jesus on the cross. Amen? That's, that's an amazing thing. There's no more crying. There's no more lament. Jesus realizes God's victory is at hand. Now, we do know that this is written by David. And as David wrote this, there was something going on in his life, obviously, that he could write these things. But what we see, this is prophecy, and we'll see a quotation later on from the New Testament. It's, it's Jesus being quoted, quoting this passage. So we know this is about the Lord Jesus as well, and it's really hard to not see the Lord Jesus as you look through this, and we've made all those parallels. You can go check that out later on. Uh, but we see that David also sees there's victory here, and there's a response from David's heart, from what God has done, how he's de delivered David into worship. And we're going to see that more clearly today. So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to read the text together, and then we'll break it, break it down, and we'll see uh, how this relates for us today, but how, what, what it meant for Jesus, and then how, what it means for us to proclaim as we partake in the Lord's Supper as well. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful uh, to be here today. Father, I pray that you would continue just to, to well up in us grace upon grace, that we would see your face clearly as we look to your word, God, that you would illuminate parts of our lives, our heart, that, that we are in error. And God, that you would draw us closer to the Son, to the Lord Jesus. God, we want to repent of our sin. We want to be restored. We want to look more like the Son. 
So God, we invite the Holy Spirit to convict us, to challenge us, to shape us, and to mold us into the image of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm 22. We'll, uh, we'll read the, uh, I'm going to read that last little tag of verse 21, and then we'll go on to read the rest of the chapter, and we'll finish it out. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. At the ends of the earth, or all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go, to the, go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Really profound uh, passage of Scripture uh, as, we, as we kind of transition from the suffering we see in Jesus we transition to what's next, what happens next, and what does that, what, what does that overflow look like for you and I. So we're, today we're looking at God's victory through Christ's suffering. We're looking at God's victory through Christ's suffering. We have three different points on this. Number one is this. God's victory through Christ's suffering must be proclaimed to our brothers and sisters. It must be proclaimed to our brothers and sisters. This is an overflow that happened. Uh, God answered a prayer, and it was an overflow. Now, if we look at David. We'll, we'll look at the eyes of through, or look at this through the eyes of David as we read this. We're going to read verses uh, 21c through 26, but we're also going to look at, at Jesus as well, because obviously God has answered David, and David says, "I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him. All you descendants of Israel, revere Him." For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will, give you, I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before uh, those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Just when, just when David, just when Jesus thought that that all hope was lost, and that God was far off, God answered the cry. And then praise overflowed, and, and God, God would be worshipped, and God's victory was then to be proclaimed. So you see, he answered me. He said, I'll proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. When he says your name, what he's saying, I'm going to tell you what he is like. I'm going to make sure you know all about the character and nature of my God. I'm going to let you know who really had the victory and, and who he is. You will get to know him. I want to proclaim who he is to you, my brothers and sisters. I will proclaim you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. And it's so important to understand something here. In this first point, we know the gospel and the power of the message of the cross is for everyone. And we'll see that as we continue. But even today, it was, it was heartwarming. It, was, it moved me 
deeply. When I, I came in a couple minutes late, I was greeting somebody outside, and I came in a couple minutes late, you had already started singing in here, and it resounded into the lobby. It wasn't just the, the guitars or the, the sounds of the microphones amplifying. It was the body of Christ, God's people, raising worship to God where it's due together, singing songs not only to God but to one another because we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to our brothers and sisters, don't we? It was, it was amazing to hear that. It was amazing to hear that again, right? It's, it's been, been hard and lacking at times. And, and to hear that sound, that's so essential within Christendom. It's so essential within the body of Christ that we would offer worship and praise to God and to sing those songs to one another. In doing so, my hope would be that you would hear those songs and we would choose songs that are, are telling all about God and his character and his nature, that we would get to know him more deeply. And then we sing those songs not only to God, to each other. Those truths are going back and forth, aren't they? We're reminding each other of the depth of the character and nature of God, the love of God. We, we continually sing and preach the gospel to one another, to our brothers and sisters. The reminder was, hey, hey, you who fear the Lord, you ought to be praising him. If you're one that fears the Lord, you know him, you know all about his character, then what should we do? You should overflow with worship as well. Just as Christ from the cross understood that God would have the victory, then he said, through this resurrection, through the power of what you're going to accomplish in my death, but also my resurrection, I will proclaim you to my brothers and sisters and to the rest of the world, he goes on to say. So you who fear the Lord, praise him. Let it out. Let God know where your heart lies. Let your brothers and sisters know the truth of the gospel as it's welled up inside of your heart. He goes on in verse 24, he says, He is not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed, he, but he did, he did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried for help. There was a thought, right? There was a thought at some point that God had hidden his face, that God was removed and far away, that, that we wouldn't have the victory here anymore. But the psalmist, and in the words of the, of the Lord Jesus, he says that, that wasn't true. He never did hide his face. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried. And, he will give, and, and I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. See, when we offer praise, it ought to be because of what God has done, because of what God has accomplished. He is the object of our praise. He is why we are able to praise. We were not abandoned. We were given victory through faith in Christ because Christ had the victory on the cross and through the resurrection. Verse 26 is the humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. I, I want us to look at uh, another section here. He says, I I'm going to fulfill my vows. I'll give you praise in the great assembly because of you. Uh, I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. Uh, in Psalm 66, if you turn there with me, keep your finger here, your ribbon here. But let's turn to Psalm 66. I want to read a small portion of this. You can read more of it for context. The psalmist goes in and is offering, offering a vow, offering to, to, to make things right. And we're in verse 13, starting in verse 13. Well, you see the context of what's going on here. And I think there's more of this in Leviticus 7. You can see that as well. He says, I will enter your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows that my lips promised and my mouth spoke during my distress. I will offer you fattened sheep as burnt offerings, 
uh, and with the fragrant smoke of rams, I will sacrifice bulls and goats, Selah. Now, we'll stop there for a minute. We're going to read verse 16. There's an offering happening, right? They, they say, God has been so good. God has, has heard. God has answered. I am going to praise him. I'm going to offer you the sacrifice. The psalmist says that now. We're seeing that in 22 as well. That I'm, uh, there's a vow that I promise. I'm going to come in and offer my sacrifice. This, by the way, was the only sacrifice that was partaken of and eaten of and shared together in the assembly. Verse 16, come and listen all who fear God and I will tell what he has done for me. Now you'll see more, you can go to Leviticus 7 or you can read more here, but he's saying, listen, I, we're going to share this offering, I'm going to offer this offering and then we're going to share this offering as we speak about what God has done. Come and listen all who fear God, I will tell you what he has done for me. That's a testimony, that's sharing what God has done and he, he shares that within Within the the sanctuary, within the assembly, within the brethren, the brothers and sisters, those things should be shared more often. We're working on that even here, trying to find ways we can creatively share testimonies of what God has done within our body. So they they partake of that together. And it's interesting that we think about that, that that offering is being made in order to recall, recount, and remember what God has done. Not very unlike what we're doing today, right? Today, we, today Jesus, we know Jesus has been that offering. So when, in David's time, he offered the, the bull, the ram, the sheep, and, he, and the goats, and they, they partook. They, it was a burnt offering. They shared and they ate it. And then Christ came, and Christ, was, he became that offering. He himself was that offering, and that we are to partake of him. And today, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are remembering Christ as the greatest sacrifice that he offered his body, his blood, shed for us in the forgiveness of our sin. So God's victory through Christ's suffering must be proclaimed to our brothers and sisters, and we'll proclaim that together as we sing, as we read and preach from the word of God, as we partake in the Lord's Supper. And yes, this is all about Jesus. I wanted to read a passage out of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. The author says, for in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, this was the goal, that we bring many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. Who's the pioneer? That's Jesus. Should make the pioneer of of their salvation perfect through suffering. He was the perfect offering for us. It was without blemish. For the one who sanctifies And those who are sanctified all have one Father. So talking about Jesus and those who are going to be sanctified, those who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So the author is saying this is what Jesus says, and he's quoting Scripture. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. This is all, Psalm 22 is all about Jesus. And Jesus is not ashamed to share that to his brothers and sisters, those who have been made right by faith in Christ, what God has accomplished through the cross, that we are now co-heirs with Christ. We have been adopted into the family that, that the Father is Jesus' Father and the Father is ours and Jesus is not ashamed of that. He proclaims the victory of God. And God accomplishes our adoption through our faith in Christ so that Christ then then would be proclaimed. And Christ would proclaim that we are 
adopted brothers and sisters. Paul also talks about this, and, and there's an importance here. Christ, when he rose from death, was a preacher. He, and he, he spoke before that. He, he went into large groups and he taught people and he taught them all about repentance and faith and what the necessity was and he healed people. But when he rose from dead, he went out to proclaim to his brothers and sisters. I want to read a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul recounts this. So there's information. It's like a historical account of this is what's going on. This is what happened. And this, this uh, also points to the fact there's so much eyewitness testimony of the risen Lord Jesus that we can't say, well, his body was missing from the tomb, but he really didn't rise. He, they just stole it and hid it somewhere else. And they made him think that he was risen. Well, this, this says something different. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3, says this, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. What's most important? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the most important. That's the gospel. That is the victory of God through Christ's suffering. And then he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. In verse 6, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Paul was later on, right? He was a road to Damascus. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Can, you, can I get an amen for that? That God's grace towards us was not in vain. That's an amazing thing. God's grace for us is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with, it, with me. Now here's what he says in verse 11. Whether then, so then, whether it's, it's I or they... Here was the goal. What was the first most importance? Whether it's I or they, we proclaim, so you have believed. We proclaim, so you have believed. There is such a necessity for the proclamation of the gospel within the brothers and sisters of Christ that we continue to edify each other and preach the gospel to ourselves, to one another, that we sing the gospel to God and to ourselves. We continually are reminded of that. And then he says it's even more than that. Christ, Christ was a preacher to us and edified us, and then he sent us out to proclaim the good news. Why? Well, Galatians 3 says this in 28 and 29, because there is no Jew or Greek. We saw this earlier in the text that, that the descendants of Jacob honor him, the descendants of Israel revere him, and certainly he's talking to Israel, but it's further than that. Galatians says there's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free, male or female, since you all are one who are in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. There's a depth here of proclamation. That proclamation did not end with Israel only, right? The proclamation was to go out beyond that to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that leads us to number two. God's victory through Christ's suffering must be proclaimed to the nations, it must be proclaimed to the nations. It's not only enough to talk about it and sing about it in, in church. It's as we walk out those doors, as we send missionaries around the world, that we would proclaim it to the nations. It goes on in our text. Go back to Psalm 22. We're going to look at verses 27 through 29 as it carries on here. He says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. 
All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. It's an amazing part of this scripture. It goes beyond just the, the walls of the sanctuary or the assembly. It goes out into the world and it goes to the far, farthest reaches of the world. The nations, all the families of the nations will bow down. Listen, this is the good news. We had sorrow after sorrow the three weeks prior to, to, to this. Sorrow over the anguish and suffering of Christ. It was like that, that, that saying when we talk, talk about Good Friday, right? It's Friday, but what? But Sunday's coming. We talk about the resurrection and Easter Sunday. We talk about Good Friday. We say, yeah, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming because we need the Sunday that goes with the Friday. If there was no Sunday, then this is worthless. If there's no resurrection, this is worthless. So there was great suffering. There was a, a dark, dark Friday that was only made good because of the resurrection on Sunday morning. Listen, because Christ suffered and was forsaken, right? because he prayed to God and he was heard, God, God victoriously heard him and raised him from the dead, people at the farthest corners of the earth will now turn to worship God in faith. That's an amazing thing. His suffering was not pointless. His suffering is powerful. It changes everything because God had victory through Christ's suffering for you and for me. That's why we can say like Paul did in Romans 1, 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the message of God, of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who would believe, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. This message was not only for the, the brothers and sisters, it would be anyone who would be in Christ and then Abraham's seed. Acts 1.8 was an empowering time, sending, the, sending the, the missionaries out, the apostles out, sending you and I. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses then. In where? In Jerusalem. It doesn't stop there though, does it? It says, you'll be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's no stopping the gospel there are no borders and boundaries on the gospel the gospel is for every single person what does that message say what is he saying he talks about this on the first part he says you know at the ends of the earth they'll turn to you the families will bow down he goes into all who prosper will eat and bow down all those who go down to the dust will kneel before him even the one who cannot preserve his life there's a lot of different thoughts on this passage but ultimately here's what i believe this is saying that there is a scope of people's well-being that we see. Some of us are very strong and well, and, and some of us are very sick and almost to the end. right? And there's a whole gamut of being from be just born to on your deathbed and everything in between. right? There's all kinds of ailments and things that will take us. There's all kinds of places that we, we are. But what he's saying is that we can all partake. We can all partake through faith in Christ. I want to read a passage out of Isaiah chapter 55. If you want to turn there with me, this is a very powerful passage. Isaiah 55, we're going to start in verse 1 and read through uh, verse 7 together. Here's what this message says, that message that is to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here's what he means when he talks about eating together and, and kneeling down and those who will, are, are, are healthy or those who are not. 
verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 55. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindness of David since I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. So you will summon a nation you do not know and nations who do not know you will run to you. For the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. It's an amazing call here. You think you're rich and can buy the choice foods and be satisfied? You can't. You think you're poor and have no access to it? You're wrong. Wherever you are, come. Everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. What is this message? It says that we all, first of all, we have a need. We all are sinful and separated from God because of that sin. And there's nothing that you and I can ever do to make that right on our own. We deserve, because of that sin, to be on the cross absolutely empty, ashamed, and accountable for our own sin. But we try to seek it in what doesn't satisfy, right? The passage went on. He says, why do you spend silver on what's not food? Why, why are you trying to find satisfaction somewhere else and your wages on what doesn't satisfy? He says, listen carefully to me. Here, here's the importance. We have a need. We try to fill it with things that don't satisfy. And now there's a point we should come to our senses. We should listen carefully and come to our senses he says, listen carefully, pay attention, and come to me. Listen, so that you will live. I, I'll give you the most choicest of foods. I'll make a permanent covenant with you. He goes on. The Lord has glorified him. That's Jesus. Uh, talks about bowing our hearts to him. I'll make a permanent covenant. Uh, since I've made him witnesses to the people, a leader and commander for the peoples, so you will summon a nation you do not know. And nations who do not know you will run to you. Right? Nations, leaders, proud people will be summoned to, to turn to the Messiah and bow their hearts before him. For the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, has glorified you. That's what God did through Christ. And there's a high priestly prayer. We'll see a little bit of it here in a while in, in John chapter 17 that, that Christ prays. I want to be glorified and have the glory that existed before the world was even formed. I want to be back to that. But that's what God the Father has accomplished through the suffering of the Son and through the resurrection of the Son. So we need to bow our hearts, we bow our will before Him. And then we seek the Lord, verse 6, seek the Lord while He may be found. Call to Him while He is near. We cry out. That's our repentance. We turn in, in emptiness to him and weakness to him and say, I, only you satisfy. It says, let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. So that. Here's the so that. Here's the good news. 
when we abandon ourselves, we get over ourselves, stop trying to be satisfied in something else, so that, we, that he may have compassion on us and he will freely forgive. God is ready to have compassion. God is ready to freely forgive those who would turn from themselves and turn to him as their most satisfying treasure. We see this amazing victory that, that God has had through Christ's suffering. And that victory was not only for the brothers and sisters, it was for the nations. That is so important for our, our evangelism. Not only as we partake in the Lord's Supper today, we proclaim that to one another, we proclaim that to the world every day. And we have that opportunity to proclaim it to the nations, to call those who are seeking satisfaction somewhere else, call them to repentance and to faith in Christ because he is the greatest treasure. He is the most satisfying. He is the only one who can save fully. So God's victory through Christ's suffering, number three, here's what's really important about it as well. It will endure through future generations. This victory was not a once and done kind of a thing. Aren't you glad? It wasn't just one time done for somebody and it was over and now we've got to find our own victory. This was a once for all time done. He accomplished everything. Look, let's look at verses 20, uh, I'm sorry, 30 and 31, back in Psalm 22. It says, Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Listen, victory will not be temporary. God's victory through the suffering of Christ will endure through future generations. That last phrase is what I want to look at real quick. That last phrase. They will declare what he has done. What, what it's really saying here, the sense of this and the tense of this passage is saying they will declare what he has accomplished fully. The work that he has totally set out to do has been completed. When Christ was on the cross, what did he, what did he say before he died? It is finished. There's no more work necessary. It's been paid in full. Christ accomplished that on the cross and through the resurrection for us. I want to look at John 17. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Go to the New Testament if you would. John 17. We're done in the passage in Psalm 22. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John chapter 17. I want to look at verses 1 through 5. And you can, again, read this later for more context with your family. Uh, again, there's a lot of, uh, of discussion questions on your notes, and there's notes in the lobby if you didn't pick those up or online. Uh, you pick that up and, and have, a, have your discussion time, maybe with your family today. There's a lot more uh, you can read as well there as far as passages go. I would encourage you to do that. But here we have Jesus uh, prays. He starts to pray to the Father. He prays for himself. And he looked up to heaven and he said in verses 1 through 5, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. There's that glory, right? So that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is power here. This is power in the, in the Godhead that God is saving people through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not just some person. He is God in the flesh, and he, he deserves all the glory coming to him. And then he goes in and talks about eternal life. He says they, that they may, he may give eternal life to those that God has given him. And he says this is eternal life. This is pretty important. If, if Jesus himself defines what eternal life is, verse 3, this is eternal life, 
that they may know you, God the Father, right? The one true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. What's eternal life? It's to know God the Father. And in knowing God the Father, we know who we are compared to him. And then to know the Son that he has sent, Jesus Christ, and what he's done and accomplished for us. Jesus says, I have glorified you, Father, on the earth by completing. Here's what he did. I have glorified you, Father, by completing the work you gave me to do. That sounds similar. He said, what on the cross? It is finished. It's complete. It's done. It's paid in full. Jesus has accomplished and completed all the work you gave, he gave, was given to do by the Father. Uh, another place in Scripture, he says, this is the food of the Son, right? To do the will of the Father. What, what Jesus' food was, his nourishment was, was to do whatever the Father had willed. So, yes, he was, uh, Jesus said, I've glorified you, the fa- you, Father, by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. There is an enduring king and an enduring kingdom that will never, ever end. And it has on the throne Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The same one who said, it's finished. The same one that said, I completed the work that I was given to do. The same one in Psalm 22 who says and declares uh, that people are going to, in future generations, declare what has been totally finished and accomplished. It's so important for us to know that. This is an enduring kingdom. So it's, it's, it's important for us to proclaim this to one another, to preach it to ourselves, to proclaim it to one another. It's important for us to proclaim it to the uttermost parts of the world. And you think, oh, that's great. Yeah, we'll invest in that. We'll, we'll do that. We want to proclaim it to the uttermost parts of the world. Send missionaries to Africa. Send missionaries wherever. We'll proclaim it in town. But it's not just now in your lifetime. Everything that you and I should be about is sending and proclaiming this message everywhere for all time. That's why it's so important and such a burden. I feel such a burden on my shoulders as a dad who has little kids because they are like arrows in a quiver that I will shoot out and send out and they will go on, God willing, long, long after I'm gone. That's why we invest as a church body in the youth in our church so we have a youth ministry and a children's ministry. So we have a nursery. We want to invest in those future generations so that we can proclaim to them what God has done and that they will then proclaim to others what God has done. Amen? This is a proclamation that is not just enduring in our lifetime. It is, has been enduring since the beginning and will endure until we go and see Jesus in the end. It's an amazing thing. It's an enduring dominion. Let's turn one more passage. Psalm 145, before we get into the Lord's Supper, Psalm 145, and this is a great psalm, uh, a lot, you can look at it a lot later, uh, uh, the rest of it, but I, I want to just focus in on a few verses here, Psalm 145, 3 through 7. We're, we're getting ready to partake, partake in the Lord's Supper, we're getting ready to to remember what Christ has done and proclaim his death until he returns. That's what scripture tells us we're doing. And what we have to understand is that, that what's on the table here, what's presented here as a, as a remembrance is about the body and blood of Christ, which is fully and wholly sufficient for the forgiveness of our sin. When we come to partake, we come remembering exactly who we are in Christ alone, not who we are because of ourselves. 
Not because we got our act together, we're really good people, we deserve to take this. No, we do not. But because of what Christ has accomplished, we come to the table and say, He has done it all. Through His death and resurrection, it is finished. And we proclaim the victory of God through Christ's suffering as we partake in this. Amen? That's what this is about. It's not because you have it all together. It's not because you stopped sinning. It's because Jesus has covered your sin and you've trusted in him in faith and you've humbled your heart and yielded yourself to him and your desire is to proclaim what he alone has accomplished. So Psalm 145, this last part of the passage, 145, three through seven. The Lord is great and highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and your glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts. And I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. I tell you what, that, that is a glimpse of heaven right there. But that should be what you and I are doing day in and day out, especially here, but everywhere we go. Are, are we, are our lives proclaiming the greatness of God, of what he has accomplished, what God has accomplished in victory through Christ's suffering and through the resurrection? Listen, there is power in the name of Jesus, and that is the only name that we should be proclaiming as we go out. But it should be forever on our lips, everywhere we go, the name of Jesus Christ. The proclamation is not only here today in a somber way, it's in a celebratory way. We proclaim, we partake together, celebrating that it is finished. And when we leave, we still celebrate that it's been finished on our behalf. And we plead, as, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we plead with others to be reconciled to God. We let them know of the greatness of God as well. That God's willing to forgive their sin and make them right with him through what Christ has fully accomplished. Amen? It's powerful. We're going to partake in the, in the Lord's Supper now, so hopefully those folks have got some things at home ready to go. I'm going to ask those uh, elders who are serving if you'd come forward, please. And uh, we'll give some instruction before we we partake, and then uh, folks at home might see a little pause because we're not going to go through the entire serving of it time, but uh, we will serve and then we will uh, partake together. So we, we pass out the elements, and in, inside of each tray is, is a double cup, and they're kind of hopefully spread out a little more. Uh, you just grab your, your double cup, and then you can kind of loosen it up and have two. Uh, you'll have the bread. We'll partake of the bread first. We'll read Scripture. We'll pray, and then we will partake of that together. And then we will read scripture and we will pray and we'll partake of the, of the juice together as well as we remember Christ's body offered and his blood shed on our behalf. Uh, I, you know, I've, been, I've told my son this morning, I said, Wesley, you're, you're not quite there. You don't, I want you to watch and observe. You're not going to partake. You're not going to grab a cracker and juice. And, and for some children, that's, that's, he's not quite there yet. He's close. He's so close. I love his excitement about Jesus and asking questions. And he, he, the other day he asked a question. He, he was something like, God, uh, Dad, what? Or how does God love us that big? 
Like, oh, it melts my heart, right? I, I love to talk about the love of God and how he loves us that big. He loves us that big because he wants his glory to be seen, for him to be proclaimed as the, as the Savior that he is, as his greatness to go forward. And he wants to bring many sons and daughters to glory through faith in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing love that he has, right? Uh, maybe you're here today and you haven't, haven't had, uh, expressed faith in Christ. You haven't put your trust and faith and hope in Christ. This, this isn't meaning anything to you. We would just ask that you pass it by. You just would, would watch. And there's no shame in that. There's no guilt in that. I mean, you, you deal with God on your own time. But we would just ask that you politely decline. Uh, again, this is a time we come to him humbly. As, as they're passed out, as, as we uh, have the music playing in the background, search your heart. Search the reason you're coming to the Lord's table today. It should be out of worship, out of proclamation of all that he has done and out of nothing that you bring to the table. You bring a humble spirit to the table saying he's rescued me from my sin. I put faith in him and he's done it all so I will celebrate and proclaim him any chance that I get. Amen? All right, so we've been passed, given, received the elements here of the, the cracker and the juice. We'll, we'll focus in on the, the cracker first, the bread first, the body, the symbolism of the body of Christ for our sin. I want to read passage of Scripture. Paul writes here in Corinthians, he says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice that you have made for us, that you offered yourself, God, not as a victim, but as a willing sacrifice to die in our place. And God, as we've considered over the past several weeks, the suffering Savior and the view from the cross, it's agonizing to watch. But we know that through that suffering, the Father had the greatest victory of all, the victory over Satan, over sin, and over death so that we could be sons and daughters of the Most High God through faith in Christ. We thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He goes on. He says, In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we are so grateful for the shed blood of Jesus. That again, he was the willing sacrifice that laid himself down and bled for us and died for us. God, the scriptures say that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin and we are thankful that an atonement has been made for us that through faith in Christ we can be made whole and freed from our sin. We love you and we thank you for your deep love. And God, as we partake now, may it be about our heart and the overflow of our heart proclaiming the Lord's death and his resurrection until he returns. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, if you would stand together, we're going to close out our service with one final song.
And uh, I, I just want to well, sing it out to Jesus and focus our hearts and minds on Jesus, our attention there, that we will be preaching and singing the gospel to one another now, proclaiming him, not only to the brothers and sisters, but, but as we leave as well.